Culture is what you allow, culture is what you emphasize, and culture is every day. And I think all too often we think of culture as the the team dinners and the playing laser tag and and throwing the candy out at a volleyball game or whatever it may be. That is not culture. Culture is what we allow. It's all the habits learned along the way. We get to be a part of that. And I, I think it's very, very powerful when you think of it that way. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. If you're tossing this into your earbuds around release time, coaches and players all over the country and world are diving into the winter sports season. For those who are, I wish you all the best of luck as you get things rolling. Thanks so much for being part of the club. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. If you need any facility improvements, make Netting Pros your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can think of. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. If you read the last newsletter, number 86, you got to see Ryan Burkhart's testimonial about the amazing work Netting Pros did for him and the Alta Aurelia Field Makeover. Such a great testament to the fact that Netting Pros is not only looking out for the safety of your fans and student athletes, but they're also looking out for your bottom line. They know how tight most athletic budgets are, especially at the high school level, and they're going to do everything they can to give you a major league experience. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by our first guest from the great state of Minnesota. He's the longtime head boys basketball coach for the Tigers of Lake City Public Schools, Greg Berg. In 16 years at the helm over two stints, the Tigers have amassed a 308 and 115 record, including 10 conference titles and two section titles. He's also a licensed sports leadership facilitator, the author of Culture Wins, and a weekly newsletter, Great Teams, Better Leaders, 123. And as if that isn't enough, he's also the high school principal. I would absolutely consider him to be an expert on culture, a buzzword many of us use but don't always understand how to cultivate. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 74 with Greg Berg. Greg Berg, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I wanted to dive kind of right into family because obviously you're very busy. I know we all are and busy is kind of a relative term, but you seem from the outside very busy. But, um, you know, just doing some snooping. I know you like golfing. I saw that your daughter uh, also golfer and um, kind of a really cool moment, I'm sure, for you and your family of um, getting to see her sign her national letter intent this past week and um, kind of commit to going and playing college golf. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. She's, she's put a lot of time in, uh, we have a great girls golf program here. Uh, they've actually won our state tournament the last two years and, and, uh, Emma signed, uh, to play at Minnesota state Mankato, which is a division two program here in Minnesota and couldn't be happier for her. And that's a, that's definitely a proud parent moment. Um, 
you know, we talk about commitment and dedication and I use the theme, no deposit, no return with my kids all the time, my team. And so it's always good when you see your, your kids, you know, kind of live out their dreams. And she got to sign with one of my basketball players as well, um, which is a, a great friend of hers um, on that same date. So it was kind of a, a special moment. Well, again, you know, just kind of thinking back to the busyness thing of it, there's, I, I assume there's something kind of really relaxing about golf. I, I play a little bit, but I don't know if my versions or my rounds of playing are exactly relaxing or not, but um, maybe therapeutic in some way. But I, I, do you get to golf with her quite a bit or is this something pretty rare for you guys? You know, we golfed a lot when she was really young together um, mm-hmm. and we'll still go out. But honestly, um, you know, I haven't I used to golf a ton in the summers. And then when I became a high school principal and a basketball mm-hmm. coach, it just tore into some of that time, especially when the kids were in their, you know, the middle school. They're just busy years now that my kids are older, um, you know, and, and Emma, you know, who's a better golfer than I am right now. But she uh I just enjoy watching her golf. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but right now I am content watching her golf. I think it gives me a lot of joy, but um, I think as you know, I'll be empty nester. My wife and I will next year when she's off to college, I'll, I'll start getting into golf more again, um, playing myself. Did you grow up in Minnesota? I did. I grew up in the twin cities, uh, spring Lake park. I, um, interesting story with that. You know, I always had aspirations of being a head coach at a young age. I asked my high school coach, uh, cause I grew up in suburbia, Minneapolis, you know, twin cities area. And, um, I said, Hey coach, if I want to be a head coach, do you think it's going to be better to go to like a small school where you can kind of jump up quicker? Or do I go to a big school and kind of work my way up? And his comment to me was Greg, knowing you, you'll go to a small school. You'll never leave. And I said, what? There is no way. I mean, there's just no way at that time I would have thought that. Well, um, my first teaching job was in Lake City and and 28 years later, here I am. Yeah, it's it's a long time to commit to one place, that's for sure. When you were in high school, did you uh, only play basketball or were you playing other sports too? No, I was a a three-sport athlete. I played football. Um, Football is probably my... Ironically, it might have been my, I don't know if it's my best sport, but we just had a really good program, um, really good coach. I was, a, I was a quarterback. We were a triple option, true triple option um, team, you know, like Air Force Academy was back mm-hmm. in the day. And, and so that was a lot of fun to play that, you know, that position in that role. And I was a, a guard on our basketball team, a couple of years starter, um, all conference football, kind of honorable mention, all conference basketball. Um, and then, you know, I, I golfed up until like my junior, senior year as well. So, you know, I was a pretty active kid, but, you know, basketball and football are my two loves. And you knew you wanted to be a coach, it sounds like, from pretty early on. What do you think led you to that? You know, I, I've always been attracted to leadership and competition and, and playing, you know, like a lot of us that are, are coaches. And, you know, I got into college and I, I actually, you know, considered – you know, trying to walk on and play basketball. Um, you know, I might've been able to make the team, you know, I wouldn't have had a, probably a, you know, a big role. Um, I was a tweener, you know, I was, I was a guard, I was a um, point guard, but, um, I, as soon as that didn't pan out, I shifted right to coaching and that's really what got me in education. I, I wasn't an education major right away as a freshman in college, but, um, when I came back home, 
uh, in the fall before we went off to college. And, and my head football coach allowed me to be our, our B-squad kind of offensive coordinator for those two-a-days. Um, I got to call our first game, and I got the bug right there. I said, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, I, I became a math major. I was a math teacher and, and coach. And I got to college, and I, I coached through college. I coached basically – um, I was a volunteer coach at our high, uh, the high school football team and was a, a traveling basketball coach all through college. So uh, that's what started it all off for me. And it's like it's like you're destined from the start. A lot of guys, obviously, it's like, okay, I graduated from college. Then I go off and, and start into coaching. But uh, I've had a few people like you who, who get that bug really early on and dive in as a college kind of student, which is kind of interesting, too, because I think when you're young like that, it kind of gives you a different relationship with players, right? Because, you know, you're 19, 20 years old with kids who might be 17 or 18 years old. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, you know, the ironic thing is, you know, that was in Winona, Minnesota, which is probably 45 miles from where I live right now. So um, I've been in this Southeast Minnesota area for a long time. And, you know, kids who I first coached, um, are now coaches or principals, you know, and, and so I've got so many connections from those early years. That's really, really pretty special as well. So thinking back to how you ended up at Lake City, what was that process like and, and why did you choose Lake City in the first place? Well, Lake City is an absolutely beautiful area. It's only about 5,000 people. It's on Lake Pepin. It is um, River Bluff country. Uh, Lake, Lake city is one of the, I think it's the largest sailboat marina on the Mississippi river. Um, it's a beautiful area. My parents actually had a boat here when I was in college. Um, my wife now was still in college, so it was an attractive place that was still close to, to her. And, um, I fell in love with Lake city. It's a great place to raise kids, great community, big basketball community. Um, I got a job as a math teacher. I, I coached, you know, football and basketball right away. I became a, a varsity basketball coach um, in 1998, my third year in in education. So I was a head coach pretty young. Um, you know, I was about 26 years old at the time. I did it for seven years. Uh, and then I got my administrative license and became a principal and had to get out. And uh, that was a really, really hard thing to do. Um, I went to a neighboring school district uh, for two years as a high school principal, and then the Lake City principal job opened up. I came back to Lake City. Uh, I've been here ever since, so now I've, I've been the high school principal for the last 16 years in Lake City. And then a few years into that, the basketball job opened up again. <laughs> I had a very willing superintendent that I, I talked them into it. And uh, so for the past 10 years, I've been the high school principal and the varsity basketball coach and actually love both jobs completely. And I'm very, very happy. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about a couple parts of it. But the first part is, you know, you obviously coaching just from hearing you early on is, is something obviously you were kind of planning on doing for a long time. And then, you know, you become an administrator and you have to kind of leave coaching were there times in those first one or two years where you're not only away from Lake City, but then also obviously away from coaching, where you were kind of questioning that decision? You know, it's really interesting. So I had been a, I was a 
I mean, I was a three sport coach, you know, as an early teacher. So I'm just, you know, I'm nonstop. Um, <laughs> no three, three sports. I was an offensive coordinator on our varsity football team. We had had some good teams. Um, then I got the head basketball job and I was coaching golf, um, you know, in the spring as well. And then, you know, I had kids, you know, my, my kids were young and all the, the time this all happened, you know, I'm going to grad school, I'm getting my administrative license. I got my soup license, all this stuff's going on. So when I, it was really hard to get out. I loved what I was teaching. I loved my job as a coach, but it was like one of those things. It was just a risk I had to take. And I talked to a lot of people I trusted about it and I, I, I did it. And the, the reality at the time, I, I had two young kids, um, you know, coaching multiple sports, basketball was long. Um, you know, I, I was, I don't want to say I was getting burnt out, but I, I was feeling a lot. Um, so getting out, um, becoming a principal, I mean, that kept me busy for a few years, obviously. My kids got a little bit older. And as soon as my son, who's now a junior in college, uh, hit like first, second grade, we started coaching, you know, his kid, you know, that team. And, you know, I, I definitely got the bug back, you know, really wanting to coach. And so when the position opened up again, he was probably in third, fourth grade, you know, I got the bug back. But it, it's such a unique, I, I have such a unique story in that, in that I had coached, I got out, I got an administration, I got to see basketball and coaching from an outside perspective. I got to see it from an administrative hat, I got to see it from a parent hat. I got to see it from a developmental hat because I'm coaching first, second, third grade. And when I came back, I mean, I, I did a lot of things different. Um, a lot of things different philosophically, a lot of things, you know, offensively. And it's, it made me a better coach without question. And it's been, it's been awesome. And, you know, now I'm to the point where I'm going to be an empty nester and probably got even more time. Um, so I'm really excited about the future as well. Maybe they'll have you start coaching some football again. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, so like, you know, the obvious question that I'm sure that would, most people would follow up would be like, all right, so you're a principal and a head basketball coach. Where do you find the time for that? But I think the more like interesting question is probably kind of what you almost started alluding to, which was what are maybe some of the benefits that you've seen from being able to be in both of those jobs? Because they're, they're very different, but obviously there's some similarities. You mentioned some of the things you saw when you were kind of stepped away from coaching. So maybe look at it from that way. Like what are some of the benefits that you've noticed from being in those two roles at the same time now? Uh, tremendous benefits. And I would, I would argue and encourage anyone you know, that has the ability to do that, to, to talk to people and consider. I've, I've had some principals in Minnesota reach out to me that, you know, are getting a new admin position. They want to keep coaching. And, you know, how do I talk to my school board or my superintendent about that? And, you know, the first thing I always tell people is when they say, you know, how can you do it? You know, busy, blah, all that. And my first response is, do you think teachers aren't busy? <laughs> like like being a teacher is an incredibly challenging, tough job. And, you know, I really try not to do much coaching stuff at school at, you know, as much as I can. I, I don't want that perception with my staff that, you know, that's the time I, I really don't. And I'm busy enough at school anyway, but, you know, teachers, you know, teachers only have certain times during the day they can go to the bathroom, 
You know, I mean, it's, it's really busy being a teacher. I tell everyone coaching is a hobby. Coaching is extracurricular. It's outside of the school day. It is my passion. If I weren't coaching, I'd be doing something else outside the school day to keep myself busy and occupy myself. So it's not like it happens during the day. It's extra. It's outside. You know, we, our meetings and stuff that we have, the structure such in our school, um, our, our teachers, our school at, at 3.30 when kids are done, you know, it becomes a ghost town pretty quick because we've got a lot of kids that are involved in activities. We've got a lot of teachers that are coaches. Um, so that time is free. Um, so, I mean, that's my response. But the advantages, you know, the relationship piece, the different type of relationship you have with kids when you coach cannot be understated, especially in this role. And I'll just give you an example. If I'm supervising a volleyball game or a football game, okay, and our kids, our student section starting to get into it, it is literally a look, okay? It, it is a quick conversation <laughs> with a basketball yeah. player or a football player, and it's a different conversation than I was able to have when I was not coaching. Um, the relationship piece can impact your culture and your school so much because those kids tend to be the leaders of your school. And if you can mold them um, in multiple facets as a principal and coach, I think it has a big impact. Our assistant principal was our head baseball coach for many years. Our activities director, um, current one is our head football coach. Our previous one was our head wrestling coach. It impacts your school culture and the relationships you have in a very, very positive way. Well, then you kind of look at how you mentioned when you were away from coaching for a while and then came back, you had some different perspectives. Uh, one of the things you mentioned was kind of how your maybe philosophy changed a little bit. Can you kind of get into that? Well, from a strictly a basketball sense, you know, I, I, I taught a, we ran a continuity based offense when I coached the first time, which, you know, more of a pattern offense, kind of an old school type thing. I was more of a defensive coach. Um, but when, you know, my son's grade was first, second, third grade, you have to teach kids. You can't teach the game that way. You know, you, and I didn't want to teach the game that way. And so I really did a lot of research on what's the best way to teach them how to play, to teach the game. And, you know, I came across the read and react offense, which is a five out offense that really teaches the how it doesn't teach the what. And we taught the game that way to really, really young kids. And so when I got the position as a varsity coach again, I went to a completely different system of how we play. And I absolutely love it. It's had a huge impact on our program and we've had tremendous success. We were a great program. I mean, we have a great tradition in Lake City, but we've had a lot of success. And, you know, I think we've won our conference our last eight years, which really comes down to because we have Good players, right? And how do you get good players? Some of it is is natural talent, but a lot of it is developed and they've worked really hard. And we've tried to create a culture that encourages them to get better. But I think our system, our open system of how to play and to focus kids to teach them how to play and give them the freedom to play has had a big impact on the development of kids in our system in general. So that philosophically was the biggest change. And then the, the how, I think being an administrator and the relationship 
focus. You know, I, I think when you're a young coach, it's really easy to get hung up on the, you know, on the X's and O's and some, some of the other stuff that really you learn matters way less than you think it does as you get older. Mm -hmm. Um, less is more simple is better. Focus on relationships, focus on culture, focus on building leaders on your team. And if you do those things, um, you know, I I think you, you put yourself in a good position to have success. Just in thinking of development, you know, different states. It's, it's amazing. So one of the, I kind of mentioned this off air, one of the craziest things about this project I've been doing is like hearing all these different states and the ways they're different in, you know, obviously one of the big ways is in what they're allowed to do during the off season. So in Minnesota, especially for you, like with basketball, what are you allowed to do or not do when you're not in season, when the, you know, you're not allowed to be around the players? Yeah, we basically have uh, the month of June and July. We can work with our kids uh, with the exception of the 4th of July week is a no contact period. So, um, you know, it's it's a delicate balance. Um, I don't need them to get sick of me and I don't need to get sick of them. So, (laughs) um, you know what what we do, we have a 300 hour club off season program. And 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 some of these resources I'm going to mention as we talk are free on my Twitter handle. Um, and I would encourage people to check it out. My Twitter handle is at GB1121, but our 300 hour club is, is there. It's free to download. Um, and basically what we're trying to do is, is my whole theme is no deposit, no return. You get out of basketball, what you put into it, you get out of life, what you put into it, you get out of anything, what you put into it. And that's really the, the culture piece I want to get across more than anything with our kids. Um, we run two camps in the summer. Um, it's mostly for grades three through 10. Uh, we do a, we do a summer league, um, with our varsity kids. You know, we probably play 20, 25 games a year. And other than that, I encourage them to get out in the driveway to pursue the 300 hour club. It's hard to do. You know, we probably have between 10 and 20 kids in our whole program that reach it every year, but those kids that reach it and put the time in, become the leaders of our program and more often than not they're they end up being the key players you know on our varsity team and program and um i really the we it's so easy to get caught in the trap of we got to schedule everything for kids and we certainly do some of that but i want the kids to get better on their, their own i want them to get in the driveway i want them to have that passion we had as kids to just get in the driveway and want to be great and that's part of what our philosophy is uh, with that. It uh, reminds me of a, a coach. I had him on here, actually, but he uh, he coaches here locally, uh, just about 20 minutes or so away from me in Silverton. And um, he coaches, uh, or Giddy just retired. He coached girls basketball for a long time, one of the most successful coaches in our state. And he used to do a, a kid's camp. And what he would do is he would spend, and he was, t- he was like two or $3,000 a year on basketballs that had his school's like the Silverton Foxes logo on it. Yep. And then he's like, and then his goal would be is to go biking every, like basically every day throughout Silverton. It's kind of a small place. Kind of sounds similar to Lake city and see how many silver foxes, basketballs and girls you could see out there shooting hoops in the driveway. That is such a cool way to do it because you know, you're providing them with structure, whatever, like here's some ideas, but then go and do it yourself because it kind of goes back to what you're saying, the no deposit, no return. You have to be willing to do it on your own. Absolutely. And you know, I, 
I'm a big believer in basketball is a little bit different. You know, you, you've got five guys that are on the court at one time. Um, I'm going to do whatever I can to develop our core guys and encourage them uh, to be great. If you can get two, three, four kids, you know, that are doing that, they're going to lift up mm. everyone behind them. Right. And so really encouraging your, your leaders and your program to, to do that, they're naturally going to pull other people up with them. And, you know, we've been pretty fortunate. Um, you know, I got a number of kids that are playing college basketball right now and having success, even coming from a small community like Lake City. And it's because they put a ton of time in. But I think we, our job is to create a culture and a climate to know that when they put the time in, it's going to benefit them. It's going to benefit your team. And that's that whole no, <coughs> excuse me, no deposit, no return mindset. And, you know, part of that, obviously, when we're looking at development, then is, of course, having good assistant coaches. So one of my favorite things to talk with people about, because whether they're in huge cities with tons of people or really small towns, it, it's never an easy job, usually, for the most part, unless you're really lucky, finding good quality assistant coaches who can help run the program and, and kind of align with your philosophies, but also, of course, bring their own stuff to the table. You've been at Lake City for a long time. How has finding and keeping good assistant coaches been like for you? Well, we've had some great assistant coaches over the years. We've we've had to, um, you know, hire some people over the last few years, and it's getting harder and harder to find coaches. And part of the reason that I'm, you know, writing so much on Twitter and my newsletter and just being really active is, you know, we all know how important youth sports is to the development of, of kids in our society, and and we really need to, you know do as much as we can to develop young people to get into coaching and, and really, you know, control the parental situation that's going on out there. And I, I just want to, you know, do what I can to add value to that and, and help as best as I can. But, uh, you know, I had a, a long time seventh grade coach that just retired last year. Um, he had been retired from teaching for 10 years. I think he had coached girls or boys basketball for like 35 years 40 years total um you know so you got a guy like that and he he would take our seventh graders we're 712 building coming into our school and you know he would mold them we 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 have all of our kids dress up on game days and they all wear ties and you know his job one of his jobs was to make sure all the kids knew how to put a tie on and how to tie a tie you know my son who's a junior in college had a great quote about his name is luther berkland our coach that retired and he said, Coach Berkland's the best life coach I've ever had, Dad. You know, he's just one of those guys that he connected with kids. But, you know, they have such a lasting impact on, on your program uh, for so many years. Um, you know, and, and then our, you know, so we've had to have some new junior high coaches over the last few years. We had a couple of great new ones we just hired in our community um, the past couple of years here. Uh, and then I got a great assistant, Stu Talbert, who's been with me for a few years now, but he was our longtime girls varsity basketball coach. And then Alex McDonald's a C-Squad coach, um, newer to Lake City, but passionate about basketball, puts a lot of time in and has great energy. Those people matter a lot. And even beyond that, you know, we're a little bit different in a good way. Um, we have one booster club for our entire school with all of our sports. We're the only school I know of in our area or in Minnesota that really does that. And so what you get is you get a holistic view with kids in the development, you know, with booster club type things. But what that also does is it puts the head coach in charge of the youth program. 
which is a, a big time commitment. But what I love about it is I have control over that program. I have control over the coaches we get. I hand pick and I'm seeking out uh, youth coaches who I know are going to be good and get it for the right reasons. And part of this, a big part of the success we've had over the years is we've had great youth coaches, parents who get it, who teach fundamentals, that teach the how. And if you can do that at a young age, you're going to reap the rewards by the time they get to me at the varsity level. How much uh, direction do you provide to the youth program? So, so I don't know, it's like, for example, say like I'm coaching the fourth grade team or whatever. How much direction are you providing me? Uh, how much freedom are you giving me? What's that kind of conversation look like? I give them a ton of freedom. Uh, I teach them how we play. I teach them, you know, in a very basic, you know, I basketball is a simple game. We make it complicated. I make it complicated. I'm always <laughs> telling myself, simplify, simplify, simplify. Um, our offensive philosophy, I mean, I can define it real simple for our kids. It is about spacing, working inside out, and shot selection. That's it. Obviously, we do a little more than that, but that's what they hear from me all the time. That's what I share with my youth coaches. We're going to run five out. We want to develop all kids. We want to teach fundamentals. Um, you know, we've got a couple rules, you know, you got, you know, pass, cut, fill, dribble at, Laker cuts, you know, very simple things that we do, but I don't want to overcomplicate it. And kids can, kids know how to play if we give them the structure and give them the principles and let them kind of learn on their own through the principles of it. Um, and, and that's really what I do with our youth coaches. I want them teaching five out. I want to teach them that. I want them to, to, you know, really focus on the whole child approach to, to, to teaching and playing time and competition. Um, and then we align that with what we do at our summer camps where, you know, I used to be a, and I still am. I mean, I'm a defense first coach. Okay. As a defense first coach, I spend zero time at my summer camps on defense. I spent a lot of time with our varsity on defense, but what I've learned is it is way more important that kids know how to pass dribble and shoot and know how to play. By the time they get to me, I can teach them defense. I can't waste time doing that. I need to, we're going to do a ton of shooting, a lot of one-on-one -on -one play, a lot of three-on-three -three play, because I want them to know the how uh, first and foremost. So trying to align that with your youth program is, is really what I do, but I give them a lot of freedom within that framework. I love that for for baseball. We've we kind of started our own youth program about four or five years ago, and it's we're starting to see a lot of the awesome benefits coming from that at the high school level. But just for the kids themselves who are playing it in the moment at the youth level, it's been really cool. And it kind of sounds similar of that. Like we had to kind of ask ourselves, okay, what are the important? You know, this is what we want kids to get out of their youth baseball experience. And then when we get to high school, we can fix this or that, or we can focus on this. And it's actually really bizarrely similar to what you're saying with basketball is it ends up being a lot more focused on the offensive stuff. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, can you play catch? And then from there, we can get more detail on a bunch of the other things. But um, we've found kind of the same thing, providing that framework and then giving freedom has, has really paid off for us. Yeah, without question. And I agree wholeheartedly. And it comes back to just don't overcoach, right? Like, we, yeah. it's so easy yeah. for us to overcoach. Um, and, you know, that's where we get into the culture and leadership stuff a little bit. Like, you know, I, as a young coach, especially, I mean, I probably obsessed over X's and O's way, way, way too much. 
I still do today. It's a constant struggle I have. Um, I go through this process every single year, even though I've been at this this long. Um, I've got pages upon pages upon pages of sets, actions, plays, inbound plays that I have seen over the last year that I love. And I ended up weeding it down to like five. And it's a really hard process to go through, but I have to do it each and every year. It's just something me that I, I need to do. But we go to clinics and all we talk about are X's and O's, okay? Which I love. I love that part about the clinics. But I've spoken at our Minnesota clinic now the last couple of years and in this, you know, not this year, but the year before I spoke on leadership and culture. We don't talk about that enough at clinics and we don't develop it enough in schools with teachers and kids. And yet if coaches ever run into problems with community and parents and things like that, it almost always comes down to a culture or a lack of leadership issue with kids or within the program. And if we get our culture right and get that set up and we develop leaders on our teams that can put out all the fires behind the scenes, um, that's how you get winning successful programs. The X's and O's come after that. And I think sometimes we get it flipped. Um, we focus on the X's and O's and we don't focus on the, the relationship, culture, leadership piece, and it gets us in trouble sometimes. So um, that, that's a, a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing as well. Well, I, I was actually listening to the radio on the way home this past week in uh, sports talk. And this guy was talking about how his son is a freshman at a high school in Florida and thinks his son's really good at basketball. And anyway, long story short, the coach has a rule in that program where freshmen aren't allowed to play varsity basketball for whatever reason. Um, I, 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 it's rare. I don't hear of it very often, but I do know that um, you've said elsewhere. And I, I also hold the belief that if a freshman is going to be on varsity, there needs to be um, there needs to be some structure, culture, leadership in place to make sure that kid's successful. Cause it's really easy just to toss a freshman who you think is good at basketball and varsity and then just assume everything is going to be dandy. So I think it kind of ties in with culture and leadership. What do you think has to kind of be in place to make sure that a freshman playing on a varsity team uh, has a shot at being successful and being uh, kind of brought in? Because I think we're in this situation every year where we get a freshman who comes in who's really good, but there's going to be other people in the program who, if you're not, if you don't have a really good culture, who might look at that and go, well, my kid's a sophomore. He should be playing over this kid. Or, you know, I'm a junior. I should be playing over him. And there's, it, there's a lot of doors that are open for potential problems and issues to come along. When you've had freshmen on varsity, what have you done or what have you had in place to make sure that it's kind of a successful experience for everybody? Well, that's, I mean, I can talk a lot about this. Um, got a lot of experience. So I'll, this is where I'll start. Um, we had not started a freshman in our basketball program, the history of our basketball program until 2017. Um, real, we have a strong program. Even before me, we had, uh, you know, I replaced a Hall of Fame coach. You know, so we've had a strong program in Lake City. Small school, graduate 100 kids a grade. Um, 2017, we started two freshmen on our basketball team. Um, we went to the state tournament that year with two freshmen starting. Uh, 2009, we, we have started a freshman in four of the last eight years in our program. We have started a freshman or sophomore in all eight years. So um, I've been through this a lot. And I'll tell you one thing, and I think it says a lot about our program and maybe how we've done it. 
two things. Another free document I have on my, my Twitter is a self-perception handout that I give our kids at the beginning of each season. And I ask them a lot of questions that guide them in leadership. I ask like, who are the three most positive players on our team? Who are the three toughest players on our team? Who are the um, three kids that lead best by example? You know, I, I ask guiding questions, but then I, I start asking questions like, um, how many minutes do you expect to play per game? Or how many minutes have you earned to play per game? How many shots have you earned to shoot per game? And then I have them, I, I basically say, if we had a game tomorrow and you had to pick our five starters in the game tomorrow, who would they be right now, knowing roles change and everything? Who would be the first three, four kids off the bench? Who would be the next tier kids off the bench? And I want you to write them in order, one through 15, let's say. And I want you to take you, your name, and put that in that list as well. And I do that for a lot of reasons. One, I have a perception going into the season who our starters are going to be, who our top kids off the bench are, who our second tier is going to be. We also know roles always change, okay? But I want to get the kids' perception for the team, and I want to get their perception for themselves. And I then meet with every single kid individually and talk about their role, okay, and where they see themselves, where the team sees them, where I see them. I don't share this document, but I put it on a big spreadsheet. And I, I my math major comes out, and I sort it all. And in that, that free document that I mentioned, I have a, a blank spreadsheet template that you can use for that. And what it, it tells me is that if a player has himself as number five and the rest of the team has him as 11 and I have him as 11, like a second tier kid off the bench, I know I have, a, I have to have a different conversation with that player. Um, and, and so it allows you just to get a perception of where people are at. I've never had to use this, but it's also a tool I have behind the scenes. If a parent ever wanted to question it, I would never show them the document, but I would share with them, you know, your son had themselves as thinking they're about the ninth man on our team. That's where I have them. So why do you think he should be starting or playing more when he himself doesn't view it that way? His teammates don't view it that way. And I don't as well. So it's an interesting activity. But I say that in regard to freshmen, because every year we have started freshmen, when I've done that document right before the season starts, our freshmen were in our top five or six. Mm -hmm. And why did that happen? Because in the summer, when we do our, our games in the summer and we play together, if there are kids who have earned the opportunity to play at that varsity or JV level, I let them play. And it, it doesn't take long for the kids, you know, and they obviously know them from camps growing up or parents that are watching to see, wow, that kid's really good. Wow, that kid needs to play. Wow, that kid is, is, is deserving of this role. So the foundation is laid there so that it's pretty much known by the time you get to the season who those kids are at because you've given them the opportunity. I always tell our kids and I talk to parents too, I will only move a kid up if they are socially ready for it, if they are emotionally ready for it, and if they are physically ready for it. And they have to have all three. If they don't have all three, I'm not going to move them up, whether it's the JV level or the varsity level. 
And I've been very cautious with that and had good conversations with parents and kids. But um, that first day of practice, when those freshmen were on our team, I don't ever say, hey, our black team or our white team or our orange team, you know, our school colors uh, is going to be these five kids. I'll just say, all right, let's walk through some offensive stuff. I need five guys out here. And invariably, I think it's kind of funny because I just do that on purpose. The five kids that walk out tend to be the kids you probably have set to start. <laughs> and yeah. those years that I had freshmen, the freshmen walked out. And so what does that tell you or me? They know, their teammates know, it's just kind of known because they've earned it. And this goes back to that no deposit, no return. We are celebrating kids that have put in time. We have an everything is earned mindset. People know they've had that opportunity. They've earned that opportunity. And now we just got to see you're ready athletically. Are you ready emotionally, you know, to handle this? But um, ironically, that, that season that we had the two freshmen start and we went to state, both of those freshmen are playing college basketball right now. One of them is a three-year starter at the University of Northern Iowa. The other one is starting at Jamestown University, which is a nationally ranked NAIA team. So, you know, they, they kind of prove their worth. Yeah, it helps when they're really good at basketball, which yeah. not which isn't surprising that they end up playing freshman as a varsity, right? The, the the idea of the self perception worksheet, I think, is really powerful. Um, I think we've all I, I certainly have had kids before who I know that they're you know kind of the so to speak the last guy on the bench. All most other players understand that too, but there's a missing part if we don't have that discussion or we don't get to that point of does that kid agree? Because it would be really easy for that kid, you know, if he doesn't agree, if he thinks he should be starting or whatever, you know, just thinking from, from my perspective in baseball, if he thinks he should be on the field and he's sitting on the bench for seven innings, uh, that can become a, a toxic environment for that kid where he could start maybe acting out or, or maybe saying things or just being in a space that makes it kind of weird for everybody else and not healthy for him either. And so having them walk through that self-perception is awesome because then as a coach, like I I get to find out from that kid in a kind of candid way where he thinks he is. Without question. And I think the most important job, one of the most important jobs as coaches is we have to define roles for kids yeah, and, and clearly define roles for kids. And we got to celebrate all roles. Like, you know, my son, I tell the story a lot. He was our 10th man on our basketball team. He didn't play a lot. I, I usually play six to eight kids in a competitive game. He was kind of, right on the fringe. He was like the next guy or the next guy, you know, two guys in. And we had a very, you know, we want, we had a, we took third in state his senior year uh, or his junior year. I'm sorry. So he, you know, he was on a very good team, but he was an incredibly important member of our team, even though he didn't play much. He was a leader. He's a leader on our bench, a leader in practice, a leader in our locker room. He had a big impact on our team and, and those roles were celebrated. So even though you're not playing in every game, you know, as a coach, we don't get a play. You know, what's our role? Our role is to coach. Well, if you're a bench player, there's other things you can do during the game that are really important, supporting your teammates and whatnot. And, and so defining roles is so important as a coach. So this tool opens up that discussion and it helps everyone understand their role. You know, you have to make sure that you celebrate all roles. You have to make sure that kids know roles change. Um, you got a kid getting in foul trouble. Guess what? If my role 
was not necessarily to be a big creator on our team. And I've got a couple kids in foul trouble. And all of a sudden, my role is now to be more of a creator. You have to know that. Or if someone gets hurt, my role may change and I be have a more active role on that team. Or if I play AAU, I'm going to go into an AAU team and I may, have, I may have a totally different role than I have on my high school team. Every team, the roles are constantly changing. And that's our job as a coach is to talk about it and really be proactive with parents. They probably get sick of me talking about roles, but um, at the parent and kid level, I, I do it all the time. And I use the phrase, be great at what you're good at religiously, because I don't want kids to do too much. That's when they make mistakes. That's when um, they, they look out of sorts when they're playing. I want them to be great at what they're good at, put them in a position to be successful and help our team win. And, and that's a big part of coaching. Well, it kind of goes back. You've mentioned the word culture quite a bit. You shared recently on Twitter, a really cool, like four, four step document on like, uh, like building a winning program. And there's get the right people on the bus, develop your people on the bus, create your culture and control the controllables. But the create your culture part to me is, was, and I think you'd probably agree is probably the most important piece once you get kind of filtered through the right people. And culture is such a great buzzword. People talk about culture all the time, but sometimes when you actually ask somebody, like, what is the culture of your program? They kind of hesitate and they're not sure how to kind of properly define it. So as you're talking with coaches or with players or with parents or just when you're kind of alone with your own thoughts, trying to think through culture, um, how do you go about creating culture? Like, what does that messy process look like? Yeah, and I I actually, you know, on a backstory, when I... I'm doing the sports leadership stuff on the side. I work with Jeff Jansen, Jansen Sports Leadership Center. That's evolved into my own leadership stuff I'm doing. So I, I'm going to teams um, and schools across the state of Minnesota and even, you know, other ones uh, as well. I, I've done 15 of these in the last couple of years where we talk about leadership development and culture with teams and schools. And, and so that opened the door to doing what I'm doing right now on Twitter. And I made a commitment last spring break at my parents' place in Florida um, to say, you know what, I'm going to start writing every day on Twitter. And that has turned into writing my newsletter weekly, which Mm -hmm. I've done 32, I think, straight weeks. Um, And that's evolved. I wrote a book this summer on culture called Culture Wins. And I had to go through this process to take all this stuff going through my brain about culture and really simplify it. And this culture is really written for, or this book is written for coaches. It's simple, practical, good stuff. But I narrow down culture and I simplify it to three things. Culture is what you allow. Culture is what you emphasize. And culture is every day. And I think all too often we think of culture as the the team dinners and the playing laser tag and and throwing the candy out at a volleyball game or whatever it may be. (laughs) That is not culture. Culture is what we allow. So if you, what, you think of every decision we make as a coach. Am I going to allow that, that player to show up late? Am I going to allow that player to not have eye contact with me when I'm talking to him? Am I going to allow that player to throw the behind-the-back pass? Am I going to allow that player to take that bad shot? Am I going to allow that player to not push themselves in practice? I mean, that's all we're doing as a coach is determining what our standards are going to be for what we allow. And we need to think about what's important to us and what we're going to allow. 
Um, and it's this balance. That's the art of coaching where you got to have these high standards, but you also have to focus on the relationship um, piece with kids. You can't just be this hardline coach that's demanding. I mean, you got to you got to massage it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what you allow. But then it's what you emphasize. And this is the important part. You can't emphasize everything. And I learned early on at a coaching clinic that just resonated with me. They said, it's not what you do, it's what you emphasize. And that's so true. Um, I could not run a rebounding drill all season long, but preach rebounding each and every day and emphasize it every day at practice, we'd be a great rebounding team. What you emphasize matters. So I emphasize a lot, value the ball, shot selection, spacing, tough D. There you got, there's our basketball program. And if we're not doing those things, they're going to hear it from me over and over and over again. Um, and so culture is, is what you allow, what you emphasize, but then most importantly, it's every day. So culture isn't a finality. You don't like get a good culture and say, okay, we got a good culture. We're done. You have to constantly be reminding kids, guiding kids, molding kids. What am I going to allow? What am I going to emphasize? Because they will make mistakes. And what happens is, when mistakes are made in a good culture, it's addressed with right away. In bad cultures or cultures that are forgotten, things happen and they you don't address them. And all of a sudden they, they, they change the culture of your program because you have not addressed them. Um, I'll give you an example of where I maybe failed a little bit. And then I, I and, and this is a minor thing, but it was a it bothered me a lot. Um, 2000. 17, we talked about that team that had the two freshmen that went to the state tournament. The year before in 2016, we had a great team, 24 and four, senior dominated team, great kids. But I noticed something was happening at the very end of the year. <clears throat> and we have been playing great. And, and you know, we we're in a good, we we're like a two seed going into the section tournament. Um, but I, I turned the corner when we were out in the hallway before going out to get ready for a preseason warm-up or the game, the pre-warm-up. And our five starters were kind of in a huddle back in our little laundry room. And the rest of the team was around the corner. And it it bothered me. And I didn't know, you know, it was like right at the end of our season. And I didn't say anything, but it bothered me and it ate at me. And we have been playing really well. And I think I just basically said, you know what? I'm not going to upset the apple cart right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't say anything. Well, you know, we went through the tournament. We um, lost a, a tough semifinal game to a good team, but we didn't really get over the hump. And I that aided me that I did not address that right at that moment. And I am convinced that me not addressing that little thing, okay, was part of the reason that we didn't get over the hump with that really good team. And so when I met postseason with my couple players that were coming back, it's the first thing I said, I said, I don't know what was going on there, but I didn't like it because it, it looked like a separation on our team. Maybe that wasn't your intent, but that's the perception of it. And lo and behold, the following year, when we have this young team, we go to state and we have a great team. But I think that those are the little things that as cultures, we as coaches, we have to address that help us get over the hump. 
And uh, that was an example where I didn't do it in the moment, but I made sure I addressed it uh, moving forward. It's an easy way to simplify things. And, you know, when you a lot of people think about culture, it is this kind of meandering. It's tough to define. Uh, having just the three actually makes it really simple. And as you're like, as you're talking through that, I'm thinking in my head, okay, what do I allow? What do I not allow? And then I, it immediately brings me back to our last workout we had last week. You know, we're in the off-season workout. So I'm thinking, what did I see? that I probably should have stepped in and done something for and not allowed, but I allowed it anyway. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe I could have done better on that. And uh, you're right. It's these little tiny things that probably seem minor, and they, they might very well be minor, but you don't know how the perception of that for the other people watching it might be and how that might permeate your culture moving forward and kind of start tearing away at things and maybe little things, but they add up and it's just – it can become really messy if you don't take care of things the right way. And so I love the just the three simple things, which makes it really targeted and easy for me as a coach to think through of like, oh, yeah, I'm allowing that. I shouldn't. Oh, yeah, I'm emphasizing that. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> that sort of a thing. It, it is. And, and a defining moment for me when I when I mentioned I was coaching when I was a college kid. Right. And so I was yeah. a volunteer assistant coach at the high school football team when I was like 19, 20, 21 years old. And I worked with the quarterbacks and I worked with the offense and then I'd help scout and, you know, do things like that. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I'm at practice all week long and I'm kind of a detail guy. I'm a math guy. And and we had had a running back. We had a really good team that year. Winona High football team. Uh, we had two division two running backs, you know, on that team, the high school kids, they turned into division two running backs. And one of them I noticed all the time would get in his stance, just lackadaisical late, you know, so you're up to the line, they're getting ready. And he's just always kind of getting in his stance right before the ball is snapped. Mm. And it bothered the heck out of me. And I never said anything, you know, I'm a 19, 20 year old kid. <laughs> not really my place. You know what I mean? But it bothered me. It bothered me. And so we get to the section, I think it was section championship game or it was deep into the playoffs and we're marching in a close game. I think we're down like four points. We get down to like their six yard line or, you know, and it's third and one at the six and it's late in the game and we get down and we get into the stance and he gets in it late and he's a little bit tired and the ball is snapped and it's an illegal motion penalty. Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably the first time it happened all year, but it happened when it mattered most. And it reminds me, and, I, and my kids hear this all the time is, you know, in those clutch pressure situations, we never rise to the occasion. We always sink to our habits and it, bother me because I'm like, if I would have said something to that kid or that coach early on, and I would have emphasized it, not allowed it, that wouldn't have happened. And we probably get that first down. We probably score. We probably go to state, but that was a culture thing because we allowed it. And those are the things I'm talking about with culture. They, they relate to how you play the game, but they also relate to how kids act, behave, and treat one another as well. And as a coach, you just got to always be thinking about what am I allowing and what am I emphasizing? And that's the hard part as a coach is simplifying what you're going to emphasize. 
What happened with you personally that made you want to start doing this stuff? Like you, you, you mentioned you're, you're doing leadership summits. Of course, you you started the newsletter. You you committed yourself. You mentioned you know during spring break a while back to commit to writing every day. You obviously wrote a book. What was there something that happened for you where things clicked? Where you thought this was valuable? <laughs> were you just kind of looking for that extra thing to kind of fill time? What happened for you that kind of led you into this work? You know, ever since I've been really, I'm going to say high school, college, I've been drawn to, to leadership. And it's probably why I became a principal at age, you know, 32 and a head coach at 27 or 28. And, you know, I, you look at my bookshelf and I've got books upon books of leadership. And when I got my master's in education, you know, it was focused on kind of like building community and leadership within the classroom. I mean, everything I've done. And so I've, I've got all this stuff going through my head ever since I've been young. And, and even when I was young and in college, I wanted to do something related to leadership, speaking, call, you know, all this stuff I wanted to do, but I never knew what it would look like. And I think that's why I went into education and coaching and being a, a leader of a school and all of that. But I've, I've had all this stuff just going through my head forever. And so when the, the Jeff Jansen, um, you know, Jeff has worked basically with colleges across the country, building leadership with teams. He wanted his message to get out to more high schools, So he hired leadership facilitators across the country. And I came across that and I had Jeff Jansen's books and I loved his books. And I'm like, this is, this is the stuff that I've been wanting to do forever, you know, and not really knowing what it would look like. So I jumped on it and it has gone great. And I have been, you know, doing a lot of leadership summits throughout Minnesota. And so I started doing the summits over the last year and a half. And then that evolved into, I got more in my head. I want to share. And, and I think we're at such a fragile time right now with coaches and finding coaches, finding officials and the value of team sport and just society in general. Like I need to do what I can to, to try to add value and, and give as much as I can to, to newer coaches and help them grow and evolve. And so I, I made that commitment to write every day. And that's all I said to myself. I took a small class to understand. I said, I'm going to write every day. Well, it went from writing tweets to writing threads to writing um, longer threads that turned into kind of, you know, essays to this summer, I started writing newsletters and, and the newsletters turned into, I'm going to write a book and it's amazing what's happened in just a, you know, six months from that spring break day where I said, I'm going to start writing and I'm going to commit to write every day. And I've got tons of content just constantly, you know, I'm writing notes down because they're things that I want to share and talk about. So it's been a, a great thing personally, because I think it's really crystallized my own thoughts. Um, it's helped me a lot. And it, it just... When you write every day, it really does something to you. And I encourage anyone to do it. When you write and commit to writing every day, it, it really allows you to grow and evolve as a person. And I'm just happy I'm adding value and people are are enjoying what I'm putting out. It really is rewarding. 
I can back that up. I, I so I teach English, and part of my classes is each day we spend five minutes just writing in our journals. I don't ever read what the kids write; they don't write. We just sit and have five minutes where we just write whatever you want to write about, whatever. Yep. And I usually end up sitting there with them, and I write about baseball and leadership and coaching and all this stuff. And there is this process where when you're writing it down, you can't like you can't lie to yourself like as you're writing. So you, you end up being really honest with yourself, and it helps you work through a lot of things. And it's really helped crystallize, kind of like you're saying a lot of my own thoughts and where I stand on things. And it's just this really amazing process, uh, you know, five minutes a day. And it's like, this is nothing time-wise, but it's changed a lot of what I do and how I do things and how I approach things or even simple things of like, hey, I'm going to have a conversation with this kid today after school. Um, you know, he's one of our baseball players. We're going to talk about his role, maybe. I'm going to write, you know, sit spend these five minutes talking about kind of where I think the conversation might go, things I want to make sure I cover on it. And it just, it's this really helpful process for people. And I'm really glad you're going through it and sharing it, right? So it's one thing to sit and have me write, you know, alone in my journal, but then for you to take it to the next point and share it and provide value to other people. Um, I can't agree more that we're in this kind of crucial time where like a tipping point, it feels like with high school sports and a number of other things too. But it just feels like we're in this weird moment right now where where people need this stuff more than they've probably ever needed it before. And I'm thankful that you're you're working in that process of kind of trying to help people. Yeah, it's I totally agree. I, I think the art of coaching is really about and teaching for that matter is simplicity and simplifying and you know, one example, so I, I taught math I and I, one of the classes I taught was AP calculus, right? Um, that was a, I'm not like this. I mean, I'm a, I'm not one of these guys that was like a, a math freak or anything like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I loved teaching AP calc and you know, when you have to teach something, you really learn it. Right. Mm-hmm. And calc is yeah. something that was, was another level to learn. And I, you know, I had to learn how to teach that. And I, I really had to take a, something very complicated. And how do you share that with kids in a simple way? We as coaches do that all the time. I've got, like I mentioned before, pages upon pages of stuff that I can't give to all my kids for basketball. Like they don't need all that. How do I take all the stuff in my brain or written on paper and turn it into offenses about spacing inside out shot selection that's it or culture is about what you allow what you emphasize and doing it every day well that's because you you write and you think and writing has really helped with that process i couldn't agree more last thing i kind of want to go with with you just because you've been doing it for a long time and obviously we've kind of touched on this a little bit but i wanted to give you a chance to kind of go through that process we've been talking about with writing where you kind of crystallize your thoughts but in thinking of high school sports and what their role is within society or just within the school environment or just for kids, what do you think like the ultimate goal of high school sports is um, when you're kind of reflecting back on all the work you've been doing and then obviously just the fact that you've coached for so long? You know, and I'm going to talk about it developmentally here. Like I just had our parent athlete meeting Um you know, on, on this week, getting ready for a season. And, you know, the, the role of college sports is different than the role of varsity sports, which is different than the role of mm-hmm. E squad yeah. or seventh or eighth grade or third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. It's, it's all developmental. And it obviously gets more competitive as, as you get older, but I mean, the, the life, 
high school sports is the perfect lab setting for life. Okay. I say that a lot because, you know, where else do you go where you have all of the dynamics involved in a team and roles and all of the struggles that happen, both good and bad, and all of the dynamics and challenges that a kid has to go through and dealing with adversity and understanding their role and accepting their role and learning how to fight through challenges and team dynamics. There's no other place that better prepares kids for that than high school sports. There just isn't. And it's incredibly challenging. And it's so important to have good coaches to help navigate kids through that because the lessons learned both good and bad last a lifetime. And there's a reason that 90% of all female CEOs played high school sports. And it's a very high number for uh, male CEOs too, but females in general, there's a big study on that because all the skills that are learned are incredibly valuable. And we get to teach those skills through something we love, whatever sport we love. And we get to teach it through competition. And that's really what it's all about. Um, not every team is, is going to achieve, you know, a state championship or a conference championship, but it's the process that matters. I think we get, I, I just posted a tweet today um, from PJ Fleck and PJ Fleck is a gopher football coach. He's a big culture guy. And it's amazing how this, how this tweet has gone wild in like four, not even four hours. It's already got almost 40,000 views. And PJ's quote was, train behavior becomes boring habits, boring habits become elite instincts. And then I posted on it, always remember that the process is the prize, focus on daily habits done well over time, have relentless persistence in your daily habits. That's what coaching teaches. Like it's not the shiny trophy at the end that goes away. It's all the habits learned along the way that really matter in the end. And we get to be a part of that. And I I think it's very, very powerful when you think of it that way. Um, The process is the prize. Appreciate the grind. Focus on the day-to-day. That's what you remember. That's what matters. Um, And we need this with kids more than ever. It kind of like you, you, as an adult, you look back at your own high school experience. You can remember some games specifically, obviously, and some practices, but for the most part, you kind of forget all of that and you're left with the lessons and the feelings and the relationships. Obviously, one of the big things you mentioned earlier, um, you know, I'll, I'll link down in the show notes, your, your book and your newsletter and, of course, your Twitter account and all that amazing stuff. And people should definitely go check it out. Um, but I wanted to give you just one more chance with the microphone. I don't know if there's anything that we missed. Uh, it's kind of funny, though, like, like think back to it. here we are talking about high school basketball and we maybe mentioned rebounding, maybe a shot like it's yeah. just a testament to how much like high school coaching is not about whatever the sport is that you're actually coaching, which is kind of one of the more, more hilarious parts of the whole thing. But, um, you know, just kind of give you the mic one more time if there's anything we missed or anything we should have gotten to or any other resources maybe that you have, whatever you want to do with it. Um, just kind of hand it over to you one last time. No, I, I really appreciate you doing this. And I'm amazed at, you know, the great work that you have out there, the number of podcasts you've done and the newsletters you've done. Um, it's inspiring to me. I, you know, I, I just think, you know, I, I wrote a post, what I wish I knew as a young coach that really resonated yeah. with a lot of people. And 
you know, I'll, I'll just share a couple things from that post since we probably have some younger coaches listening. And one is the 20, 40, 60 rule. You know, in, in your 20s, you, you tend to worry about what other people think. You hit your 40s, you, you really don't care what other people think. You get to your 60s and you realize no one is even thinking of you to begin with. <laughs> and I think yep. as young coaches, we, we get too worried about, and I was the same way, um, being friends with the kids, worrying about what the parents think, worrying about this or that. You have to be confident in yourself and everything has to be a team focus. And, you know, it's got to be a relationship driven process with kids. But um, the sooner you get through that, the more success you're going to have as a coach because you're not going to please everybody. I had an old colleague of mine that, you know, he jokingly would say if a parent ever came to him about playing time, he'd say, I'll tell you what, you go talk to the parent of Johnny who's who's playing a lot right now in front of you. <laughs> and if you can get him to agree to take your time, then I'll consider it. But, you know, his point was there's always going to be somebody not happy. I mean, if you create a good culture and talk about roles, I think you can get people to buy into the team process. But it's just part of it. Um, you know, simplicity, we talked about that. Playing the long game, focusing on culture, we talked about that. Relationships um, are incredibly important in this job. Players, not plays, same thing. Um, give up control to your players because I think when you do that, you get more out of them. Find a great mentor. Connect with coaching colleagues. I think we need to do more of that. This is a hard job. Uh, we need each other and we need to connect like you and I are right now. And then don't lose sight of, of your family and family time. I've got an incredibly um, wonderful spouse who's a teacher who's allowed me to do this for a very long time. Um, and you need a, a supportive spouse as well. So with that, I just want to thank you again and, and, and wish you the best of luck. Ah, you're the man, Greg. I appreciate you coming on this. I know it's a, <laughs> about to be an extremely busy time of the year for you, and I, I hope the Tigers have a great season, and I wish you all the best. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Max. You can catch links to Greg's book, newsletter, and Twitter account in the show notes. He's a tremendous resource for coaches of all sports. Hope you enjoyed getting to know him half as much as I did. If you aren't signed up yet for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get going. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episodes, please share this on social media via email or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. Doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Berg for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.